Today I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 21. Um, this is an exciting day for me because, you know, on the preaching calendar, because uh, normally uh, serving as an associate of, at different churches throughout the years in Canada, the United States, uh, I've never preached a Palm Sunday before. So this is exciting. This is something new. This is uh, different. So I've been looking forward to this and enjoying the time of study and pondering over this passage, this encounter of Jesus coming to town. We do have the verses on the screen there. Today we have uh, Claudia who's helping out on the, uh, the graphics here today. So woo, good to have her uh, help here this afternoon. She's very talented and um, so we're glad to have her helping out. So thank you very much. So we're looking at Matthew 21 starting right in verse 1. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her fowl. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its fowl and then laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem... The whole city was in an uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Maybe I startled you when I was shouting, but this is the, the scene. This is the commotion. This is the uproar that was happening as Jesus entered Jerusalem. Sometimes you think maybe in today's landscape of Christian life, you might assume that it's kind of a calm and gentle procession everywhere you go at times. But in this passage, in this encounter, people are excited. There's an uproar because the long-awaited prophet, the messenger of heaven, has arrived. When's the last time you saw palm trees? Maybe you're one of the fortunate, lucky few that, uh, you know, are kind of like the snow bunny and you get to go down to Florida. We have a few here and I, and I, and I appreciate those who get to go. They, they, you know, they had the wonderful tans and I was fortunate to go down this, you know, this March break. And I have to admit, again, I love it when you're reading scripture, you think of stories and events in your life. And when I looked at this aspect of them taking palm branches and laying it 
on the road. I couldn't help but think when we entered Florida, my family and I this March break and saw these gigantic palm trees. And even though you've seen them before, you think, wow, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. They're tall in stature. They're not easily mistaken. And so here in a similar way, Jesus has arrived on scene as they're saying, this is the prophet Christ of Nazareth from Galilee. And so a few things I want to walk us through this afternoon. Point number one, for sake of my media person here today, is point number one, the long-awaited champion of heaven has arrived. The long-awaited champion of heaven has arrived. They've been waiting for a long time. Prophecies had been fulfilled. They knew that the child had been born, the Savior that was coming into the world, and yet the one who would come and usher in this covenant had not yet come into the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus had gone and taught in various synagogues, teaching about the kingdom of God, but now he was poised to enter Jerusalem, the very holy city of God. And so we see this interaction highlighted by how people in honor, they laid down their cloaks and palm branches. When was the last time you took off your coat as someone was walking in a processional or even a wedding? Would you take off your nice dress coat or, or, or ladies, whatever else you have on your you know, outfit, you put it on the ground at the feet of the one who's entering the room? I've never done anything like that. <laughs> And yet, this was something that was common in their time. Now, I've already mentioned that palm trees are this, you know, very recognizable, upright type of stature. They can go to apparently 80 feet tall. 80 feet. And what I found remarkable about looking into palm trees is they can flourish in very dry climates. Even in areas where you think is insurmountable, life cannot be sustained, life cannot spring forth in such environment, and yet a palm tree shows that that is not true. In fact, life can thrive under the right conditions. And here, they're laying down these palm trees, and it actually ties in, I found this just fascinating myself, in uh, Revelation 7, 9, Palm trees are connected with the people of God who have been marked with a seal, those coming out of tribulation. We're told in Revelation 7 and verse 9, after this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And so this wasn't just something that people thought, hey, this would be kind of cool. We're just going to toss some palm branches. It was very, you know, like in our time where we have confetti thrown at a wedding, tossing a palm branch at the arrival like a royal procession was very common. Kings would have this happen. A, a prominent king in Israel, Jehu, had this happen. He was successful over his rival. That's in 2 Kings. And I found this statement by one of these uh, renowned biblical scholars. I, I wouldn't um, 
be one who affirms all that he represents, but this statement that he makes, the scholars N.T. write, and he writes this, perhaps the reason they laid these palm branches as they recalled the famous leader Judas Maccabeus, who 200 years before had arrived in Jerusalem after conquering the pagan armies that had oppressed Israel. He too was welcomed into the city by a crowd waving palm branches. And he was the start of a royal dynasty that lasted for over a thousand years, sorry, a hundred years. Indeed, the Herod family had intermarried with the Maccabean family and the chief priest claimed a similar status. So this was something that wasn't uncommon for the people of Israel. Tossing of the cloaks, laying down palm branches, but now you can see how much more, uh, how of greater importance this is that the people are doing this because if they did this for other rulers and other kings, there's a recognition happening here. They're recognizing the prophet Jesus coming to town, the long-awaited champion of heaven, the king. The one in whom the scriptures say there would be one that comes from the line of David, from his seed, and that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. And so they see Jesus coming down in Jerusalem and they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David as they lay down the cloaks and palm branches. And so what I want to leave with you here this afternoon as we continue on is that we can see from this story, this true story, that Jesus was the coming king as advertised. Better said, prophesied. But his arrival would be very different from the other rulers and kings that came before him, and yet he would be unmistakable. Just like that palm tree when I came into Florida, when I crossed the state line, it's like, whoa, that's a massive palm tree. There's no mistaking it for another type of tree. And that this Christ, he would come and he would triumph the enemy that has been oppressing them the entire time. And yet this deliverance, this salvation, when they're saying Hosanna means to deliver, to save, he's not coming there to save them from the oppressor that they want him to save them from, the Roman occupation. And check this out, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. This is the prophecy regarding this messenger, this champion of heaven. And we looked at this at Christmas time because it's applicable. See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. Like a launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. And the prophet Malachi continues to write and declare who and what this representative would usher in. 
including judgment. And yet there would be this tremendous favor and mercy seasoned with said judgment. And at the end of this proclamation, prophet Malachi says, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien, they do not fear me, says the Lord of armies. And so this messenger, this Christ, is the one that they've been waiting for. Again, he's not moving or going to enter victoriously in the way that they want him to do so. But nonetheless, this Christ, he's showing how God is personally invested. God himself was coming to town, if you will. We all know John 1, 1 through 5, that says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing that was created that had been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet darkness did not overcome it. It's a highlight that Christ was not only a champion of heaven, but also the fullness in which the deity of God dwells were shown in Colossians 2.9, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And so the Apostle Paul, who is ministered to by Jesus and taught by Christ, penned these words to Titus, saying in chapter 2, verse 11, which we know full well, for the grace of God has appeared to all, bringing salvation to all people. And instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, godly way in the present age. And this is where we rest today. This is where we sit while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this is evidence for effect, if you will, the promise of fulfillment that Christ was the great shepherd who came into Jerusalem, fulfilling the very promise that he would enter and he would liberate God's beloved people and that he would not only go to the cross and give his life for the salvation of all who believe in him, but he's coming back. And he's the blessed hope for all who put their trust, all who rest in him. And make no mistake that it says Jesus Christ is our very God and Savior. The Father and Him are one. There's no misinformation. There's not two different plans of action, two different salvation plans. Jesus had to go to the cross and provide that necessary atonement for you and I. And so the champion of heaven is on scene, and so point number two, the face-off against the enemy was about to begin. The face-off with the enemy was about to begin. Rescue would happen in Jerusalem. And so if you will, go ahead, Claudia, and go to point number two. We're going to face-off against the enemy. Jerusalem was ground zero. Jerusalem would be the very place where Jesus was making his mark that would serve as the arena, if you will. 
the pinnacle of his life and ministry, the octagon in the spiritual realm in which Jesus would be victorious, going toe-to-toe against a defiant enemy. The enemy of our souls. And so he's en route, he's on this donkey as a sign to the people, make no mistake, this is the king, the one who will be victorious. This is not fake news. You will know that this is true when you see him riding on a donkey. And so he comes into town, and this would lead him on a chain of events in which just starting, the teachers and chief priests at the time would start to get up in arms about Jesus arriving in Jerusalem because he was about to change the whole establishment. He's going to change things. He went in in verse 12, it says, Jesus went into the temple and he threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs and of those selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves. He would be faithful to put everything to rights, to right the ship, if you will. He goes on to say in verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And you have to love Jesus' response. He replied saying, have you never read You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Even in the midst of this crowd, you have two kinds of people. You have people that are shouting and praising that our Savior, our Deliverer is here. And others are saying, not my Savior, not my Deliverer. There were those who were welcoming his leadership, welcoming what he was championing, and others were not. And yet Jesus didn't allow that to stop him from going to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And like you, maybe you've wondered, why is it called Golgotha? It means skull because when you look at um, one of those... um, Discussions and looking at the historical evidence of what that place would have looked like. At that site where Christ was crucified on this hill, apparently there are two sunken type holes in this mountainside that when you look at it, looks like a skull. And so they would call it the place of the skull or Golgotha. And it's at that site Jesus would give his life. And I can't help but think, even if he had told them in the moment, like, friends, I am here to give my life for you. I will give up my life freely for you to fulfill what has been written in Isaiah 53. You wonder if they would still mock him or try to stop him. Jesus said this in John 10, 11, 
because we're talking about our good and compassionate shepherd who's on his way to the cross. He says this in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. You gotta love the effect, Jim, when you think about, and I'm thinking of the boxer, Muhammad Ali. He's going to the ring and he's, he's facing off. Here Jesus is in it for the long haul. He's going through, he's enduring to the, the place of the cross where he would overcome the enemy of their souls. Surely they wanted him to deliver them from Roman occupation like Judas Maccabeus had done years prior. But he knew that Rome would eventually fall a couple hundred years later. But what he was doing, what he was working on, the reason why he arrived in Jerusalem would have lasting effects reaching forward to today. If Christ indeed died and has been raised, then our faith is not meaningless. But if this, in fact, hasn't happened, then what are we doing here? <laughs> but we believe, in, we believe that he has, in fact, not only entered in Jerusalem, but he gave his life. He shed that necessary atonement. Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says this, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He freely went to Jerusalem where he knew what awaited him. Just before this entry in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus told his disciples, he says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will have him handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised. And Jesus went there on his own accord. He freely went to Jerusalem. He says this in John 10, 17, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. Think about that. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I receive this command from my father. And so the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says this, so we keep our eyes then on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. How many times when maybe we're having a difficult work week, we're having, we're expending a lot of energy and we, we just want to pack it in. We just want to give up. Sometimes we give in, we falter, we succumb. And yet Jesus is blazing a trail saying, don't give up. Do what God has called you to. He's with you. He's going to provide for you. You'll be able to endure just like I endured. 
he went to Jerusalem in the midst of the mockers, in the midst of those who were expecting him to raise up a different type of kingdom. And again, yeah, he didn't allow that to stop him. And so back to our story, we see he's come to the city, a determined man. This is something that can speak to us and minister us this afternoon. How determined are we in our faith? The purposes and calling that God has put in our life, are we resolved to walk the path, to finish the race? Several weeks ago, we looked at this very aspect about the word blessing. In this journey, it says, as they shouted, Hosanna, the son of David, they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing is baraka. That means to be a blessing, to speak favorably, to act in such a way, bringing about favorable circumstances for those that you are speaking to. And so here Jesus is coming to be a blessing to the people who are crying out, save us, deliver us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna comes from two Hebrew words, which I found very encouraging. Two Hebrew words that are these. Yesha Anna. Yesha Anna. It means to deliver to save, and Anna is please. Please save us. Please deliver us. And so as he's coming in, fulfilling as we, as we talked about with him riding on the donkey, they are proclaiming with a cry of praise. Deliver us. Save us. Would you please save us? Would you please deliver us? And what they didn't realize is that Jesus would do that very thing. He wouldn't save them from Roman occupation of the time, but he would save them from the enemy of their souls, looser of the devil, and free them from that grip. The tyranny of sin and death. He would free them from that grip from all time. That's why scripture says, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? For it's been swallowed up in Christ. And so maybe those words help they did for me in, in setting this scene that these people are, are crying out in praise, deliver us, save us. It's actually very similar to how you and I operate on a daily basis. There's times where we cry out to God for help and there's times where we cry out with thanksgiving. You know, there's times maybe you lose your job and you're like, oh God, I, I need your help. How am I going to provide this week? How am I going to provide for my family? And other weeks when that help comes in just the nick of time. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Or PTL, the short form. PTL. This is what they're doing. They're crying out for deliverance, but also with praise and thanksgiving. The day has come. The king and champion of heaven has arrived. And now they're waiting and seeing how it's all going to play out. That's why I love a song that the gospel singer-writer Carmen wrote one time, The Champion. I don't know if you have that in your, you know, your media library or audio library. If you don't, you should get it. If you listen to Carmen talk about this, this encounter, this divine exchange that happened because of Christ, it is awesome. 
It's just incredible to listen to that song. And he helps to capture what is happening here. And so they're shouting and they're, they're praising. And just like with the palm branches and the cloaks, this was something very common for the people of Israel. Here's something that I did not know. That not only would they lay the cloaks and the branches as I've already shared, but it was very common for people as they were journeying to Jerusalem en route to be crying out to God, to be praising him all the way to Jerusalem. They call it the, the pilgrimage. And this is what they would be doing. And this is based on Psalm 118. Maybe you knew this, and if you do, it's a been, it, I'm sure it's been a blessing to you to see this interaction of those faithful men and women of old praising and crying out to God. Not just crying out, help me, help me, help me. They're also seasoning with, praise your name, O God, that you're faithful and true, that your name endures forever. Look at this excerpt from Psalm 118, verse 24. We've sung this in church many times. Maybe not here, but in other churches. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, Yahweh, save us. Lord, please grant us success. You've been faithful and true. The chapter is very long, and there's this type of praise and crying out all throughout the chapter. And so we can see, we can take a lesson in this teachable moment from this encounter here that there's a worthy celebration going on because of what Jesus is doing. And they're witnessing, they're seeing what's happening. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph. Daughter Jerusalem, look your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. On a young donkey, their deliverer has arrived. And so their praise, the cries that they've offered up to heaven have not gone unheard. And so, of course, you and I, Sue, this side of heaven, we have the benefit of the complete revelation of God. We can look back and say, well, duh, he's there. He's riding in on the donkey. Hello? We have that benefit. But here firsthand, they were seen, as we know full well, that God's plan of salvation was being enacted, was being accomplished by Christ's Passover action on the cross. It would take him to be resolved to enter Jerusalem and hearing the voices of many different sides and yet riding that donkey through faithful and true to where he would then be handed over to evil men and give his life for us. Revelation says that the rider upon the white horse, his name is called Faithful and True. I'm here thankful with you that the day is coming when he will return. He's already paid the price. He has won the battle. He has finished the race, if you will, for us. 
He did what was prophesied in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace, and we are healed by his wounds. And so my encouragement to you, as I was encouraged in reading this story, this interaction, that the crowd is showing us how good and proper it is to praise him. I love watching people at times worshiping and praising Jesus. And it's not a show. Don't get me wrong. It's not about that. It's not about watching and being like, who has the arms raised higher? But rather seeing how God is, he's reaching into our heartstrings. He's touching us from heaven and saying, I love you. I care for you. I accomplish this for you so that you can have life and life to the full. The death that you deserved, I paid that price. That ransom that you were supposed to pay, I paid it. And so this crowd is showing us the importance of recognition, this praise. They saw that this hope was manifested. That's my third and final point. Hope was manifested. Jesus manifested that hope and that all who had eyes to see and ears to hear what was happening would be able to take hold of it. Let's turn to Luke chapter 23 just for a moment. Luke 23, hope manifested. This was the real deal. This wasn't a facade. And in Luke 23, Jesus has been arrested. He's been handed over. He's been flogged. He, people wanted Barabbas released instead of Christ. And so he's heading to the cross. And he's carried the weight of it. He's endured the lashes and the insults. And there he is, raised up as he's nailed between two criminals, the very people like you and I, lost souls, the very reason why he was at Golgotha, the place of the skull. The imagery there is just incredible. And they say here in verse 32, two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him when they arrived at the place called the skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals and one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him and they came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the son of the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was put above him. This is the king of the Jews. And verse 39 should be on the screen now. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, and you have to love this realization, this moment, a criminal, which we have all been rebellious from one time or another. He says to Jesus, Jesus, Remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, as I believe echoes through to us here today, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. Jesus came into Jerusalem, his mind and heart, his will set on facing off against the enemy, and this victory would be made certain on the cross at Calvary. And so his very passion on this Palm Sunday, we can be reminded, if anything else, is this. His passion means we have a new way forward. That's my final point. His passion means we have a new way forward. Each day that we wake up, we can walk in this new trail, this trail that he blazed for us. We're no longer in a place of fallenness, in a place of unrighteousness, because the Bible says that we've been declared the righteousness of God. The enemy wants to speak to me and speak to you and say that you're undeserving. He wants to say to you and, and pin you down and hold you down and try and get back into former ways of thinking, the former way of life. But yet, just like Jesus, as he signified coming in on that donkey, he's saying to us, if you follow me, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. And he says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. This is what he does. He gives us a new way forward. He gives us new life. In him, we can be victorious. His passion means a new way forward. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and we're going to close out our time together rightfully so with the time of praise, a time of crying out to God, thanking him for the deliverance, thanking him that he came so long ago on that donkey, rode through Jerusalem, enacting the plan, God's plan of salvation. And this image that I saw as he was riding on this donkey, as reading this passage, we know the scripture can have sequential fulfillment, double fulfillment. We know that he's coming back. And as he rides that white horse, as we rate his return, we can trust that his name is faithful and true. And that these words from Revelation 21.5 wash over this afternoon. Then the one seated on the throne said, look. I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. This is something that we can take to the bank. It's not like when someone writes you a check. I hope this doesn't happen to you, my friend. But they write you a check, you take it to it, and you're like, I want to deposit this check. And the bank teller says, I'm sorry, there's insufficient funds. This is nothing like that. Jesus paid the price in full, and so he surely was able to make certain that this new way forward was a reality. And so it's right and proper for us to praise him. The one who said, I am your good shepherd. I laid my life down for you. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. This afternoon, like you, I'm thankful that Christ was determined to go to that cross. 
First, he had to go through Jerusalem. First, he had to go before councils. Inappropriate justice panels, if you will. Be mocked, be ridiculed. And yet he knew the end game. And as we come to this time of worship, keep in mind what that end game is. Sometimes we can be burnt out. Sometimes we can feel like our back is against the wall. We hear people saying, like we said at the beginning of worship, tell me where God is. Show me he's real. And at the very least, we can say that, well, well, he saved me. My life has never been the same. And I can show you he's real because of the fruit, the fruit that's springing up in my life. Because in him, he makes all things new. My life is truly never the same. Each one of us has that testimony here this afternoon. If you really think about it, if you take a few moments to reflect on that, you'd be able to say amen and to praise God for what he's done and what he's going to continue to do in your life. As the worship team plays, let's just uh, take this moment to pray together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. In many ways, you entered the wolf's lair. You came and established the divine resistance. That through your action, your determination, the joy set before you, at the cries and the praise of the people, you went to the cross and you gave your life for me. You gave your life for each one of us. Past, present, and future. Lord, I thank you because of what you've done, the, the atonement that was made in full, God, that it's sufficient for today. We thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice. We also thank you, Lord, for those who do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Yes. Heavenly Father, if there, even if there's someone here today, whether online or in the house, God, that if, there's a, if they're asking questions and wanting to know if you're real, Lord, I thank you that you make yourself available to them, that you tug and you knock on the door of their heart. Your word promises that you stand at the door and knock. Mm -hmm. And whoever opens the door to you, that you will come and you will enter, you will enter that place. Eat with them and make your home with them. Mm -hmm. Would you have your way within us, Lord Jesus? Inhabit our praise here this afternoon, oh God. We know that we are blessed and highly favored. Blessed are you who came in the name of the Lord and who is coming back. Hosanna in the highest heaven. May you be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>